the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. And so to be together, it's nice to be together. I have to tell you, I went to the doctor this morning. I know, this, isn't a, this isn't a joke. I went to the doctor. It sounds like I'm doing a joke. I went to my annual physical, except I hadn't had an internal medicine, a, a frontline doctor in about five years. So I hadn't been in five years. So I went to the doctor. And, and uh, the good news is it was a new doctor, so he didn't have all my records. So he couldn't tell what my previous weight was. So I told him that I'd lost weight. I was healthier than ever. He didn't have any way to know. And there also is some good news. If you're, if you avoid your doctors, uh, and you shouldn't, you should go to your doctor every year, once a year. It's important, you know, everyone, my listeners that listen closely, my wife is a doctor, so it's even worse. I should be going, but, uh, but it turns out that because of COVID, some of the exams that a 51 year old man would be required to take are not uh, necessary, are not, um, they don't do them right now. So that was an announcement in the middle of the, uh, in, you know, in this middle of the, uh, of, of my exam was that there's not going to be certain of the exams that uh, if you're a guy my age, you'll know what I mean. So that was a great relief and that we moved on from there. So it was a, a nice visit with the doctor. And I, and I, I tell you this because um, it is, it was crazy to be in a, uh, a, a medical setting on the day that the CDC said you can not wear masks outside. And here's the thing that's getting weird. You, you can't tell who's in what camp on the mask effort. So when I come, I came into the, when I came into the room, into the building, the medical building, a woman was there and I said, and I said, well, I'm going inside. I'm going to put my, in my head, I said, I'll put my mask on because I want to be respectful. You know, I'm not going to be marching around. Here was a woman. And so I put my mask on and then she pulled hers up and said, you know, we don't really need these. And I thought, well, it's okay. And, but I just, Kept my on one elevator. Got up to the uh, to the next to the uh, the actual uh, uh, medical doctor's room, and and I had a guy in the waiting room, and he said, "I'm not wearing this." Now I thought, I don't care. I mean, I'm not going near him. But I thought, how are they going to handle this in the in a in a medical you know in a in a doctor's office? So then they had this confrontation. The guy said, "The studies, the study." He this is a young guy. He said, "The studies say it doesn't really work." And I, besides, I had the vaccine, and the care the, the worker there said, "Not all of us had the have had the vaccine." So then. I thought to myself, how can you work in a medical setting and not have the vaccine? Like, I don't think you would have uh, conscientious objectors in that setting. And so then I went back to the exam room and all the people in the exam room were on the full mask and full face guards. And so, and it was even the doctor. So it was a very, uh, and, and, and then back downstairs and going out. And as soon as you got outside, uh, everybody's uh, unmasked. I was like, so here's the thing I want to tell you. Here's the, um, here's the uh, point I want to make. Something happened in the pandemic that is good for conservatives, in my opinion, good for we the people, but you may not have noticed it. And that's this. 
For far too long, the cult of of science, the cult of progress, and I, I'm using the word cult a little too dramatically, but the, you know the the idea, and you even saw actual cults, you know the Fauci pictures and the and all, but the, the the sense that you must respect progress and science and what you're told by experts, that had accelerated, even as more information was known. So it's a little bit, a little bit, follow me here. It's a little bit counterintuitive. You know, you, you have a chance to go on your phone and you can do 18 searches. You can do a search and get 18 articles on any type of disease that you think you might have and march into your doctor. And this happens all the time. My wife tells me people say, I got this, I got this, I got this. And, and here's the doctor and the doctor's got to deal with all that. But that's that example or having your phone so you can say, let me let me figure out what a congressional race, you know, a politics would be. And you get people that are armchair analysts. So all that information. And yet in significant ways in about the last 30 years, we have ceded control and given authority, especially to the government. So when the government says, this is the way it's got to be because this is safety, we say yes. When the government says, this is the way it's got to be because it's good for the economy, we say yes. And so for a long time, for example, another example is we were told free trade, free trade is good for our economy in the long run. And it turns out it's not good or even better. The even better example is we were told by all the experts, free trade is good. Tariffs will be a disaster. Well, Donald Trump used tariffs. It wasn't a disaster. The economy grew. My point here is the pandemic has pushed us through to have to have us all begin questioning, especially the authority of the government. So now we're back to what I talk about so many times, and I, many of you will email me about this. And if you want to email me, by the way, you know, edit, excuse me, edit at martinlive.com, edit at martinlive.com goes right to my phone. People can text me 314-256-1776. But I talk about it all the time. The narrative machine, which is now telling us exactly what we hear, we see and hear, it tells us, it controls what we see and hear, therefore what we know, and therefore shapes what we do. And we have been led to a point where the, the, the government has been able to use the narrative machine to, to really control lots of what our decisions are. Not so much tell us the decision, but tell us only the options that are acceptable, which is the same thing, by the way. But, you know, it's still, it's a, it's kind of narrowing what you still feel like you've got a lot of choices, but you don't have a lot of choices. That's the best news about the pandemic is the idea that we're challenging the the authority that has over the years creeped into our lives, the authority especially of government. Which brings me to two topics that I want to relate to this. One is mad, you know, <laughs> mad, 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 Rachel Maddow, mad Maddow was going wild the other night. And she's going wild that the audit of the election in Arizona is a threat to the republic. Auditing the election results is a threat to the republic. Think about this. This is like, uh, this is the farthest thing. You know, it's just like saying, doing the math to check, to, to, to add up your checking account would be a threat somehow to your financial, you know, stability. How? And yet Rachel Maddow is yelling at the TV. In a few moments, we'll talk with Hans von Spakovsky over at Heritage Foundation, who wrote a whole book with John Fund on election fraud. And, and he's an authority, too. But you're watching Mad, Rachel Maddow and the left yell about what you're supposed to believe. And the good news is more and more people are rejecting it. More and more people are saying, wait a second. 
That doesn't make sense to me. The election in 2020 seems to have been not very transparent. A lot of the questions that were asked have yet to be adjudicated, or in the case of some of the machines, we just don't even know. We don't know how they're operating. doesn't feel very transparent. Again, it's not the end of the world. It may be problematic, but that we got no result. We're told, go away, go away, is a little bit, the, that's a bigger, bigger problem. And now that we're getting to the bottom of it in, in, in um, Arizona, and you're seeing a real audit of all the votes in Maricopa County. We're having people yell and scream. The Democrat Party sent in 73 lawyers, including this Mark Elias guy, one of the big guns that had this whole plan to, to make sure to control and frame the election. Why? What I mean, what are people afraid of? As I've told you before, it's like my daughter. When I go and knock on her door and the door's locked, I say, what are you doing? She says, nothing. I say, well, why is the door locked? I just locked it. Yeah, the, the, the presumption flips. The presumption flips to something funny's going on. Something funny's going on. And it's the same thing, the same problem uh, that I'm, I, I mentioned real quickly. James Carville did an interview. He said the woke culture, the woke, the, the political correctness is freezing up our society. We'll talk at the end of the program about that and uh, what's happening to our, our kids, boys and girls. But we got to take a break. We got to get to these interviews. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com to follow all that we're doing. Sign up for our daily emails and listen to these interviews we take. I'll put them over there, standalone, so you can get them. ProAmericaReport.com. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Well, the dust has settled. It's months later now, and uh, there is one man who you can always count on to understand uh, sort of where we are on elections, and that's Hans von Spakowski, who is a an attorney, a constitutional attorney. He's had a lot of different things in his life that he's done, but he also has an expertise from having served on the Federal Election Commission. He is currently the manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative and a senior fellow over at the Mies Center at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, welcome back, Hans. How are you? I'm doing just great, thanks. So, Hans, after any election, there's a sort of post-mortem. This one felt like it was uh, more uh, mortem than post, in a way, because of the attention of January 6th. But, what you know, in general now, we're settled in. States are passing some laws. Georgia had the one that got a lot of attention. And you're, you're an expert on the ebb and flow of this kind of thing from 2000 election through, you know, today. Where are we? Is there real reform going on? Is it mostly political grandstanding? What's your sense of, are we going to come through the pandemic? Pandemic and some of the worst parts of the concerns, you know, lack of signature verification on mail-in ballots is going to be improved just because we won't have the pandemic in the same way. Where Give us the sort of where we are right now uh, description. Well, look, uh, a number of states are passing real reforms or, or have already passed real reforms. That includes uh, Georgia, uh, Arizona, uh, Iowa, uh, Texas has bills in the works, too. They're trying to fix some of the security vulnerabilities and holes that are, are in the system that we currently have. And uh, some of these are really good good bills. Uh, the Georgia election reform bill that got signed into law, which has been relentlessly and falsely attacked by uh, Joe Biden and, and the left, is actually a very good bill with very good provisions in it. I, I haven't seen this much uh, energy and enthusiasm over trying to fix election problems uh, for 20 years. Remember, we had similar, we had a similar 
<laughs> we had a right. similar energy after the 2000 election. But here, it's really state legislators that are working on, on trying to fix these problems. And we're talking again with Hans von Spakovsky, who's over at the Heritage Foundation, a fellow there and uh, leads the election law, election law reform initiative. Uh, you mentioned Arizona. Um, when right. when we will we hear will we hear out of Arizona when the audit's done? I know the criticism, which is a pretty good one. I mean, on one level, the Republicans, most of us said, hey, that election didn't seem very transparent. What did you, what happened here? Then everyone was told, you know, go home and don't ask questions. Now we're having an audit where at least ask, parts of it are not totally transparent. And the left and the Democrats are now saying, it's not very transparent. What are you doing? I mean, but what, what could we find out? What's the range of possibilities in this audit? Is, is there is there reason to think, oh, we're going to find something dramatic? Is it going to be something significant, but not particularly? I mean, what, give us a range of what we could find. Well, they're doing a complete audit of all of the ballots that were cast in Maricopa County, which is over two million. Um, wow. Right after the election, they did a sampling. Uh, and said, oh, everything's okay. But they didn't look at all of the ballots. So I think part of what they want to see here is when they finish doing the hand recount of paper ballots, will the numbers match the electronic totals that the computer scanners and computer equipment came came up with? Because uh, that, that would be one. If, if the numbers are the same, well, then it's hard to say there was any kind of problem with the electronic uh, equipment. On the other hand, if there's a big discrepancy, then there was some kind of issue. They need to figure out what, what it was and why the hand count doesn't ag- agree with the electronic count. Yeah, it is. Um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's certainly that the the here's another question I had, Hans. Again, we're talking with Hans von Spakowski. You know, you, you wrote the book and you mentioned off the air that uh, the 2012, I think you wrote a book with uh, John Fund on election fraud, fraud right. broadly and that you're updating that. So it'll include some of 2020, but it'll also include all that, that in that book before then and, and since that came out. But um, you we, there's just a reality and you served on the FEC, Federal Elections Commission. Um, you know, I used to, I used to say when I ran the election board in St. Louis, you had two things you had to do. One is run a good election, which is hard work. It's not easy. But two is you had to make the people believe it was worth it. So you had to build their confidence that it was, you know, well done and that it was available to non-native English speakers. You know, in, in St. Louis, we had a lot of Vietnamese Americans and Bosnian Americans. This the, 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 the polling now is that no matter how we got here. We have a lot of people that don't have confidence in the elections, and that's not good, yeah. right? That's that's a problem. That is, is is this worse than we've ever had it in terms of that question? Yeah, I think it is, and in fact, that is a very very important issue. I mean, in fact, I mean, the U.S. Supreme Court itself has said in prior cases that that uh, maintaining public confidence in the election process is, is extremely important, and you know, part of this loss in confidence is because. Um, all of the issues that were raised in, in last year's election uh, were not resolved. Um, you know, right. Democrats did everything they could, uh, so did, unfortunately, uh, county and state election officials to make sure the claims being made did not get investigated, that cases and lawsuits filed were dismissed uh, on procedural grounds without actually trying to examine the credibility of the claims being made. And so it left this big question hanging over last year's election. I think an aud- I think audits, like this one being done in Maricopa, is a good thing. Because look, the audit may come out and say, look, we didn't find any problems uh, at all. That'll resolve the issue. People will no longer be saying that there was you know cheating going on in Arizona and, and, and the results should have been changed. On the other hand, 
if they come back and say, ooh, we found all these problems, uh, we want to know about that so we can fix them to make sure they don't happen in future elections. Right. We're talking with Hans von Spakovsky. Uh, but Hans, how about this one? Watch this, because I'm a lawyer, too. I'm not as good a lawyer as you are, as uh, uh, big a shot as you are, uh, he says with a smile. But 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 uh, try this out. Two lawyers and we say to each other, look, we have a constitution and it works in a way that means that even if there was fraud, it won't change who's in the presidency. In other words, I mean, if, if there was right. if somebody found a dossier of, of Joe Biden and it said, here's how we steal the election. We mailed a check to Arizona, we mailed a check to Georgia. But absent proof. And that would be then you'd have to impeach somebody. You wouldn't. You know, so in other words, whether we like it or not, we had a system that allowed for November 3rd to, to January 20th, a series of, of, of stop, you know, of release valves. And none of them were effective to reveal something that would stop it. And so here we are. So I keep telling people, I am not, and I think you'd agree, I am not saying, no matter what is found, that you change out the president. That's that's not a possibility because we have a stable constitutional, you know, republic and we, ha- we ha- it's the envy of the world whether Kennedy cheated against Nixon or or uh, LBJ as a senator, whatever, right? That We don't go back and unring the bell unless there was some proof of it. So having said all that, th- that I think maybe that's what a lot of people are missing is we, you and I can agree that you're not going to change the presidency absent some specific action that showed something was done. And then you'd be removing a president and putting in the vice president. I mean, that's that's what more people, I think, need to hear. No, that's exactly right. And it's because, look, we have laws in every single state that only give you a certain limited amount of time after an election to contest it. So if right. you lost an election and you think there was uh, shenanigans or anything else going on, you have to file a lawsuit. You have to convince a judge. And if you wait six months to do it, <laughs> there's nothing that you can't do anything about it. So, yeah, right. this audit may we may figure out what actually happened and what problems would be fixed, but it is not going to change the outcome of uh, the presidency. And that, and that, and that's my point. What I say to people is change the framework because if you're arguing about fraud and and then you, you get into court and the judge will say and the, and the your opponent will say it's not going to change anything, you know, Honor. We're not going to we don't litigate things for fun, you know. We don't litigate things because we want to make a point. It has to have some remedy. If there's no remedy, then there's no way to move forward. We throw the case out. In this case, the argument has to be: look, because there's a need for the system to have confidence for people to believe it works, we have to get to the bottom. Of it for that reason, if that reason, and that reason alone, and I, maybe it's still a loser. I mean, one of the traps that I think I don't think if there was a real good fraud, and you know, it looks like there was some in different places. We don't know if there was. It was done with an eye towards the the, the uh, timeline, just like it was done with an eye towards the timeline when when uh, and you probably were involved in it when uh, James Baker and the gang were down in Florida and they were litigating. Bush v. Gore was saying, "Hey, the clock's going to run. Force an answer." Right. And they luckily for Bush, he got the right answer. I mean, that's how this works. I guess um, can we? You've again watched this. You were on the FEC, which is a partisan in the sense that there's appointed members from each party. It, can can you see a? A, a way that this breaks out uh, of all this and becomes a positive thing, uh, you know, or are we in for a couple of cycles where people are just mad and don't believe the systems are working? I think that depends entirely on on several things, and uh, one of them is whether states complete this attempt to uh, fix 
the problems in particular places. Um, and it depends on whether or not uh, H.R. 1 is stopped in Congress. Remember, H.R. 1 is the big bill that passed the House. It's now in the U.S. Senate that would have would be a complete federal takeover of the election process. And it has Democrats putting in all of these bad, bad mandates everywhere, like voiding uh, voter ID laws. If that law passes and Biden signs it in, if that bill passes and Biden signs it into law, you think right. confidence in the election process is bad now? Just wait till future elections when those provisions are in place. Yeah, it's. Uh, I hope that's not. Well, just that's give me more things to worry about, Hans. All right, Hans von Spakovsky, thank you over at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he's working on another book uh, or updating his book on election fraud. Uh, he's a great resource. We thank you for the time, Hans. Sure, thanks for having me. All right. We will take a break, everybody. We'll be back. Don't forget, these interviews are over at ProAmericaReport.com. You can go over there and listen. I post them as standalone so you can go back and track what Hans said. We'll take a break. and be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Very honored to catch up with my old friend, Roger Stone. Uh, I still remember, Roger, the uh, joy that the left greeted when you and I went to Mass with my family and your family, and we posted a photo, and uh, the left went crazy, I don't know, six months, a year ago, whenever it was, and uh, been a lot gone on since then. I thought it was mostly great. Everything was going the right direction, and now here comes uh, more lawsuits and all. But first of all, let me go and say, how are you, Roger? How's your wife? How's your family? Uh, give me, Give us an update for our listeners. Well, I'm doing fine. The family is doing fine. Uh, You're right. The recent civil suit filed against me by the Biden Justice Department is an outrage. I mean, Ed, yes, I owe them $800,000 in back taxes from years 2007 and 2008. I paid them $890,000 against that debt. Now they're suing me over the penalty and the interest. They're well aware of the fact that thanks to the Mueller prosecution on fabricated crimes, I'm virtually penniless. Uh, I'm on the verge of bankruptcy. I own nothing. I lost my home, my car, my savings, my insurance. You know, I have the clothes on my back. There's an old saying, you can't get blood out of a stone. Well, they're certainly trying. It's harassment. I mean, normally... Uh, in what they call offering compromise, you know, the government gives up some interests and some uh, penalties when they get paid the full amount. They, I've paid everything I owe in taxes. This is politically motivated. I have excellent tax lawyers. I got to figure out a way to pay them. But no, this is just harassment. Uh, it's because they couldn't take me down in the Mueller witch hunt. They tried to implicate me falsely in the events of January 6th, of which I know nothing, wasn't there. It's just more deep state harassment. But you know me, I'm not going to roll over. I'm going to keep fighting for the America First agenda. Well, you know, and uh, we're talking with Roger Stone. Hey, Roger, is the Stone Defense Fund, is that still functional? If when people get uh, fired up to help you, can they still go to stonedefensefund.com? Uh, is that the site? Absolutely. And unfortunately, I need it more than ever. I was hoping to be able to close it down. Um, I have a bunch of nuisance civil suits that have been filed against me. Uh, But now, you know, I'm right back at it again. The, The IRS and the Biden Department of Justice have unlimited resources. We were in negotiations. We were very close to settling this. I've paid every dime I owe in taxes. This is a fight over penalties and interest. 
which, as you know, that are normally waived at some point or at right. least negotiated down. And I would have continued making payments. But now uh, I have to go back to stonedefensefund.com to raise the money for tax lawyers to, to fight yet again. See, they, they just right. want to keep me out of the fight. That's what this is really about. They don't want me well, on the battlefield. And exactly. And I was going to say, we're talking to Roger Stone. I, you know, in the last few days, uh, you were uh, you had a meal with uh, your old friend, uh, Joe Flynn and, and General Mike Flynn. And the two of those guys reported back because I haven't seen you in a few months. And they said he's the same as he ever was. He's got a million ideas. He's right about almost everything he can hear. And he's looking down the field. So it's uh, let me ask you, though, is um, is I, I mean, people want to know there's hope. And, and that's the thing. Those guys, Joe and uh, Mike Flynn said he's hopeful. He's feeling good. I mean, a lot of us are like, my gosh, how? how how long can you put up with this? I mean, are you, I guess you just keep plowing ahead, right? This is your, basically your whole life. Well, look, I think there's four things we need to do to take back this country, but they have to be done in the correct order. First of all, we have to end the censorship and control of all mass communications in the United States. I applaud what Mike Lindell is doing. He's on the right path. We need a thousand uh, websites that can't be censored and can't be deplatformed so we can communicate right. not only with each other, but with the American people. Only then can we marshal the forces and the public support to make sure that our election laws are transparent, honest, fair. Uh, then we need to clean out the Republican Party and get rid of the weak need, white wine swelling, green pants wearing, country club, gutless, feckless Bush Republicans who believe in nothing other than lining their own pockets. The very Republicans who stabbed President Donald Trump in the back. And then we need to nominate a candidate in 2024 who supports the America First agenda. If President Trump wants to run, he can count on me. He's my first choice. But if he does not run, if he decides not to, then we need a candidate to carry that banner forward. I want to draft General Mike Flynn for that job. He's not a politician. He's not running for office that I know of. But perhaps, just perhaps, we could convince him to do his duty because I think he's one of the few guys who could save this country. Well, and he has the thing he has that's in common with you, which is there ought to be like a meeting of people like you, is that the, you, you've been targeted uh, for years. And once you've been targeted, you sort of don't owe anybody anything. Like it's not, you know, you sort of been to the bottom and you kind of say, well, while you're grateful, I've heard you say thank you to Pre President Trump for helping you out and others. But ultimately, it's kind of like uh, you can see the you can see the real problems um, on the on the ending censorship, Roger, because you've been a communicator your whole life. You've been a writer. You've been a visual guy that sees things. I, honestly, on my show, I talk all the time about the narrative machine. Big tech plus big media, now with big government using it. The narrative machine. I, I don't feel a lot of days like we can ever beat it. Uh, CNN was on the screen for a minute today, and it was all about how cops executed someone, and I, did, I just turned it off, right? I mean, but the, half the country believes this stuff, and the other half believes something else. It's very daunting, isn't it? It is, but if you look at the difference between 2020 and 2016, it was no different in 2016, with one exception. We had a free, unfettered internet. Network TV was against us, cable TV was against us, half of the radio community, all print media, virtually all print media, most of the most trafficked uh, internet sites. 
but we did have free discourse on social media and the Trump campaign and the Trump grassroots movement was able to mobilize people. We just need that beachhead. We don't need to control network television. We just need a beachhead, which I think is based in the Internet. So, yes, there is hope. I'm working with several teams of software engineers because I can barely turn on my cell phone. I'm not a technical guy, <laughs> but I do understand right. the need, the need. And therefore, I do think there's hope. Um, is it daunting? Yes, it, it is daunting. It is a massive challenge. Um, we are either going to fix this problem or we're going to step off into a thousand years of darkness. Uh, we're talking with Roger Stone again, and uh, Roger on the on the, again back to the censorship uh, stuff. Is uh, you mentioned Mike Lindell and the, the 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 Frank speech, which is pretty cool, but it's it's kind of stuck, right? Right now, it's in the throes of being attacked and and being undermined. Hey, what other possibilities are there? It feel you know every now Gab Gab was okay, and then they let it sort of go a little bit wild. Then Parler got kind of co opted and for knocked off. I mean, it, you know, where are you? Give us some sense of where sort of the cavalry could come from well here is the point which is you can build a platform that doesn't use any programming from apple google amazon uh or i hate to say it but some of the uh applications that even uh, lindell's team have used uh, and as long as you don't have those underlying programs you haven't built your mansion on a foundation of sand Parlor was great, but it was built on, a, on a, an Amazon program as a platform. And that, that right. was pulled right out from under them the way you would pull out a rug. So if you know what you're doing, you can build an indelible uh, uh, Internet platform that is extraordinarily difficult to deplatform. You can never say impossible, just like you could never build an airplane that will never crash, right? But most airplanes right. don't crash. Uh, this can be done technologically by people way smarter than I am about this, uh, but you have to be very cautious because sometimes in the coding, in the building of these platforms, you are using programs that are controlled by the globalists, controlled by those who would censor us. Um, this is a this is not an insurmountable problem. It's a difficult problem, but. I know teams of both venture capitalists and software engineers around the country working on such platforms because it's the first step to solving the problem and saving the country. Uh, we're talking with Roger Stone, stonedefensefund.com, stonedefensefund.com. Uh, I can say uh, concretely, General Flynn doesn't need any help anymore. He got clear, but Roger Stone does. So stonedefensefund.com, give a contribution. I know I will. Roger, one last question. Well, if you had to bet, I know you you like this kind of speculation. Do you think Trump, President Trump runs again? I mean, I know it's a ways off, but I mean, you've known the guy for 30 or 40 years, or maybe what's the, what's the math equation or the calculation he made? sometime in the next few years and how would you how would you handicap it well you know i don't know why he would want to climb back into the pressure cooker i mean uh, this yeah. this man you know underwent some of the most vicious attacks in american political history he and his family uh, i do believe uh, that he is still the leader of the party at the end of the day, I'm not sure that he will run again, which is why I speak uh, about drafting Mike Flynn, who I think is a, a man of destiny. Uh, I think he could be the right man at the right time. 
let me make it clear. If the president runs, I'm 100% in his corner. You can bet on it. But three years is a long time. And if you if you made me guess, I believe at the end of the day, he probably won't run. But that's just a guess. That's not based yeah. on any yeah. inside knowledge, because the one thing that's predictable about Donald Trump is he's completely <laughs> he's unpredictable. <laughs> there you go. All right. We'll finish on that. Roger Stone, StoneDefenseFund.com. Help him out if you can. Thanks, Roger. As always, I hope to see you soon. Thanks, Ed. God bless you. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. If you were to travel down the Potomac River from present-day Washington, D.C., on this day in 1758, you'd pass very close to history in the making. April 28th is the birthday of President James Monroe, whose legacy still lives with us today in the form of the famous Monroe Doctrine. His birthplace also lives on with a complete reconstruction by the James Monroe Memorial Foundation at the original site in Colonial Beach, Virginia. No president could be more deserving than the man who penned the document that Marquis de Lafayette would call the best little bit of paper that God ever permitted any man to give to the world. The Monroe Doctrine is as simple as it is important. It simply states that the powers of the Eastern Hemisphere should not interfere with the affairs of the Western Hemisphere. At the time of the doctrine's inception, imperialist Russia was eyeing America's West Coast with envy. They hatched a plan to establish colonies from modern Alaska to San Francisco. Imagine what a fiasco we'd be in today if they'd succeeded. President Monroe's bold declaration can still be felt nearly two centuries later. It's impossible to overstate just how bold the declaration was. At the time, America had no standing army and only five sailing ships in our Navy. Yet President Monroe declared that America was willing to fight for the sovereignty of our native land against any foreign interference. Americans today should learn from the boldness of President Monroe. Would we be willing to be so bold with our main aggressor in the Eastern Hemisphere, the communist nation of China? We should be. Critics would be quick to point out that the world is not like it was in Monroe's day, and I agree completely. America now has the strongest fighting force in the entire world. We're in a better place than ever to back up the words of the Monroe Doctrine with the full force of our mighty military. This call to defend our land rings from the furthest reaches of the Alaskan wilderness to the humble birthplace of President Monroe himself. America must defend our way of life from every foreign threat. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. As leader of the free world, America has a responsibility to stay strong in economics, industry, morality, and military capability. Never hesitating to say, America first. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll see why the best foreign policy begins with a strong America. Join the conversation at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Don't forget to visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email. The Pro-America Report comes into your email box. Gives you email box every morning. It's 5 a.m. Pacific time, and it gives you what you need to know. All right, so let me wrap this up, and I'm going to see if I can move my way into this. Now, you, you know, you, you all know that I, uh, my day job, my, the job I spend most of my time on, I, I mean, I love doing this show, but I spend my day as the head of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Phyllis Schlafly was, when she died in 2016, she was 92 years old, and she was an iconic figure of the conservative movement, but she was most sort of publicly associated with fighting back against the feminists and the Equal Rights Amendment in the 70s into the early 80s. In fact, as she was dying, there was word, and later became uh, the, what we found out, was that there was a multi, you know, $50 million production by FX um, Studios and then run on Hulu was starring Kate Blanchett and a series of other big movie stars called Mrs. America about Phyllis Schlafly standing up to all the feminists, Gloria Steinem and all these people. So that was what Phyllis was associated with. She had a longer career, by the way. It's kind of typical of the feminists. It's crazy to say this, but the feminists never gave Phyllis Schlafly her due as what I would say is a great you know, woman leader. She was a well, well acclaimed writer on, uh, the, the balance, the strategic balance between the Soviets and the United States. She was a political writer. She was a candidate organizer anyway, but she's associated with that. So I spent a lot of time. Uh, and, and various um, uh, events and things, talking with people about feminism and about the Equal Rights Amendment and Phyllis's history there. And um, so I'm not unfamiliar. I mean, I'm not an expert on feminism, but I'm pretty familiar with it. And uh, what's really interesting to watch and to participate in to some extent is pointing out how the the left, the movement on the left to uh, to sort of empower liberalism has a negative impact on women. So, for example, you know, you hear the wage gap. People will say the great wage gap between men and women. It's actually a gap between people who take a bunch of years off from work during their, you know, during the major part of their, um, you know, midlife and then come back to the workplace. So, you know, if you sometimes men will have to do that for illness, they'll have the same problem. Right. So it's not. But that's that is that there's a there's a whole big debate. And what it makes women want to do sort of by the pressure is never quit working. So you have a whole set of people, women, who end up having their kids raised by other people. Walk around Washington, D.C. and the, 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 around Capitol Hill and you'll see kids, I'm sure, of all sorts of professional women, which is their right to choose, by the way. But they're being raised by, um, you know, uh, clearly, uh, you know, so, you know, nannies and and uh, and women from, you know, other parts of the world even raising their kids. Again, it's their choice. It's not against the law, but it's a choice. That's what feminism did. Feminism has pushed the left has pushed feminism into endorsing transgender rights and and uh, gay marriage to the detriment in many cases of women's sports, of marriage for women, no-fault divorce, which was pushed by the feminists, saying, oh, you know, you need to get out of a marriage. No-fault divorce is used against women more often than men as men walk away from marriage, and it's a lot harder for women. So there's a whole bunch of things that impact women in a way that nobody saw coming, and, and a lot of people, Phyllis Schlafly saw it coming, but a lot of people don't even recognize it. And so here's a here's a story that the, the 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 woke culture, the politically correct culture, the kind of overrunning of uh, of America by the feminists and by the left to to sort of uh, you know correctly catch the Harvey Weinstein's right. He's a, he's a not a nice guy. He's a pig, and worse to correctly modify the Bill Clintons of the world to correctly modify any mistreatment, but also at a certain point it causes a crisis. And this is the thesis of this article by a woman named Lisa Britton. She calls it a boy crisis. 
And her argument is there's that, you know, there's the problem is that the boys in our culture are being raised in a way where they're feminized, they're limited, they're confused. And this is the Brookings Institute that, you know, is not not so that's not a conservative one. And this author, Lisa Britton, goes on to, to quote uh, Christina Hoff Summers, who started out as a real feminist, I guess I would say sort of traditional feminist and became very critical and wrote a famous book called The War Against Boys. But you don't have to look far to see that all the rhetoric of the culture you know the politically correct culture of patriarchy is damning and people are men are uh, mistreating and all this kind of stuff to realize we're creating something that's instead of making it better is making it very different and there's not a father or mother of young boys that doesn't see it. There's not a uh, professional that doesn't recognize it. I'm not even talking about gender dysphoria. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how people live together, how they interact together. Now you overlay onto this and wait for this one, the presence of rampant pornography in the lives of everyone, but especially young boys and young men. And you have a situation where we've taken from our uh, young boys and young men. By the way, the feminists were part of that. The feminists, were, the march towards feminism included the freedom for pornography and a lot, among a lot of feminists, not all of them. And that, you know, the freedom, but a bunch of them saying, you know, don't, don't hold us down. We don't want to, we, we can embrace our good lookingness and be objects in our own terms. And you shouldn't be telling us what to do. Now, all that to say, we're at a, a point here where you have to, for a culture, and this is the article's point, you have to have healthy boys and healthy girls who understand what their lives are about and, and understand how they can be. And the, the boys are not only feeling and being malformed, they're also falling behind. They're not getting the educational opportunities. The system is favoring females. This is what the research shows. This is not what I'm saying. This is what the research shows. And so you're having all kinds of problems with disorders among boys, with uh, disabilities among boys, with uh, overdose among boys. You know, if you look at the number of overdose, there's certainly a lot of women that overdose and, and all of it's a tragedy. But there's a lot more men. So it's a it's a huge problem that is overtaking our society. And only now, like a lot of things, by the way, like the embrace of the Biden administration of Buy America and the Trump administration of Buy America, that used to be something that you'd have to fight over. Everybody's on board with that. That's great. But everybody's got to get on board with this gender dysphoria, this gender movement, the feminist movement, the far left. It's damaging our boys. And you can't live in a society where it's a bunch of kids. You need boys and girls and have them to be healthy. So we'll talk more about that. All right, we got to run. Thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin. Thank you always to Noah, our technical director, and to Joanna for booking our guests. Be back tomorrow. Talk to you then. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.